Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4:23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. So we, uh, we're continuing in our sermon series called Con- uh, Out of Context, uh, looking at those passages in Scripture that um, are oftentimes pulled out of context um, and are used in ways that can be... Um, even dangerous for our understanding of who God is uh, and, uh, and who, what the word of God means and says. Um, this is incredibly important that we read scripture in context uh, because the Bible is by far the most intricate and complex book in the history of literature. Uh, I mean, it's like over 40 different authors wrote 66 different books, many of those books in different genres of literary text. This was written over 1,700 years, the entirety of scripture. That is so incredibly long. America's been around for what, like 350, 400 years, if even? Um, There are over 780,000 words in scripture. And each of the parts of scripture from Old Testament to New Testament are written in very different cultures and contexts from each other. Yet... Yet, with all of the chaos that's happening in, that, in the scripture, with all of the intricacies of, of the word of God, it tells this beautiful, unified story. And so it is meant to be read within the greater context. Every scripture, every passage, every book ought to be read within a greater context. And that context is the whole scripture. If you um, call yourself a follower of Christ, um, and, and this is kind of our book, I, I would encourage you, Uh, to read the whole thing. Like, at some point in your life, you need to read this whole book because uh, it it gives us a greater context when we see the big picture. It gives us a greater context of the the word of God and who God is and and who God has always been and his faithfulness uh, throughout time. But today we're gonna look at a a passage in Jeremiah 29, uh, a passage that that could be uh, hanging in your... um, in your bedroom, it could be hanging uh, somewhere in your house. It's probably a, a, a message that was given to you as you graduated from college and, and someone wanted to kind of send you out. Uh, this verse, in Jeremiah 29, 11, says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Man, what a warm and fuzzy verse. It feels so good. To say it. Because, because it, it gives us this, this warm feeling about the things that are going to happen in our future. And, and uh, the future is one of the most anxiety-ridden things because we don't know what's going to be next. But if we know that God has a plan for us to prosper, 
that we know that God has a plan for hope and a future for us. That's what we want. And so we cling to this verse even if it doesn't grasp the whole concept. I think oftentimes we don't, we don't take this verse totally out of context. We get the principle, but we miss some of the intricacies that are happening all around it. If we are not careful, this verse can become a very dangerous verse because it helps, because it really defines what we understand about who God is. Helps us, it defines how we relate to God. It defines God and his holiness and his justice and his providence in ways that it was not meant to be. Uh, there's this, this, this meme um, that I laugh at every time. Uh, it's going to be okay because I know the plans that God has for me. <laughs> Context means the world of difference. And so when we dive into scripture, what does this passage tell us about who God is? Anytime we read a passage in scripture, it ought to, we ought to ask these two questions. What does this passage tell us about who God is? And secondly, what does this passage tell us about how we relate to that God? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4, as we back up a little bit to understand uh, what's going on here. So right at the beginning, we understand the characters, the actors who are in this story, who this is being written to, which is hugely important. Starting in verse 4. This is the word of God. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. We, we get an instant, instant understanding of who and what is happening in this text. Uh, I love this, this meme. Uh, so Jeremiah is all about you, huh? Remind me again about your time in the Babylonian exile. This, this passage is not written to you. It's not written to me. This passage was written to a very specific people in a very specific time, uh, and, that, and that should. So, so we can't directly just apply this into our own lives. We have to ask the question, um, what does this say about God, and what does this say about how I relate to that God? You see, what's happened here is that uh, the Israelite people uh, got conquered by Babylon. And as they were conquered by Babylon, the Babylonians came in and they said, uh, they said, anybody who wants to, to continue worshiping your God, you have to go. You have to leave. Anybody who is okay uh, adopting our Babylonian idols and gods, you can stay here. And you can worship our gods and, and, and you'll be good. We'll leave you alone. And so we have this, this split in the Israelite people. Part of the Israelite people called the, the remnant, uh, this, this group of people who were exiled, were the ones who remained faithful to God, who said, the, the comforts that I live in, the comforts of my world, the, the, the place that I uh, grew up and called home is not more important to me than the God that I worship. And so I will leave everything I have behind to go and follow after God. To remain in connection with my God. To worship God. Remember the, the, the first of the Ten Commandments? You should have no other gods before me. You should have no other gods before me. So they, they said, I'm going to follow that to the T. 
So those that are being spoken to, this is the word of the Lord for those who have chosen faithfulness to God over conformity to the world. They have chosen faithfulness to God over comfort in their own home. It's a key distinction. Verse 5. He tells them to build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters and increase in number there. Do not decrease. You see, what, what, what was happening in that time is they, they had left, this, this remnant had left the place of Babylon and then, but hadn't entered into into the, the new Babylon. Had left in, they had left Israel, but had not entered into Babylon. They were staying in camps outside of the city walls of Babylon because they were like, why, why would I settle down? I'm going right back. I'm going right back to my home. I'm going right back. Uh, this is only a temporary stay. Um, I know that my God will be faithful, and so we're going, we're going back. And God's saying, hey, hold on just a minute. Hold on just a minute. I want you to settle in. I want you to build houses. I want you to go, go into the city and be part of the city. There's, there's a different mindset when you settle. Right? When you think that you're only going to be in a place for a short period of time, you don't, do, you don't build relationships. You don't, you don't really, um, really unpack your bags even. You know, if you're in a short stay at a hotel, you just keep your stuff in your bag. You put your bag on the, on the little stand thing that they give you and, and you, don't, you don't unpack everything. But if you know you're going to be at a place for a long time, you take it and you start, you start putting it in the drawers. There's a different mindset that happens when you settle. And God's telling the people, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Even marry your kids off. This is good. Settle. Stop living outside of the city separate from the world, but go in. Verse 7, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you out into exile. Pray to those, uh, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is a call to the Israelite people to not just, not just be separate from the culture that they, that, that they live in, but to fully embrace the culture, to, to move into the culture. You know, when, when, I, uh, when I wear white, uh, I inevitably spill barbecue sauce on me. Like I could, I, I'm not even eating barbecue sauce and somehow there ends up barbecue sauce on me. Every time I wear white, it doesn't matter what is happening that day, I get something on me. And so every time I wear white, I'm like, you know, like staying away from some of those things, like, you know, a little bit further from the grill. If I'm, I, I don't know why I grill in white, but that's another problem. Um, but it's this, it's this uh, if I stay far enough from, from dirt, it won't get on me. If I, if, I can, if I can separate myself from these things, then it won't get on me. But what God is calling the Israelite people to do is to be a change agent in the world. Not to be, to be separate from the world, but to be bleach that goes into the world and, and cleans it. To be, to, be, to be holiness is to go into a space and, and bring purification to that space. To be a cleaning agent for the world. An agent of righteousness. You see, he, he's, he's trying to pull the Israelites out of their social club and into the, into the calling that they were given to be a light unto the world. They were meant to be an evangelistic force. But what happens is we become so closed off 
We become holier than thou. We become this, this social holy club and, uh, and you're not allowed in unless you do all of these things right. And so, so God, even, even through hardship, is bringing them into the world and saying, be a light. Be a light in Babylon as you go in there. Settle in. Be a change agent in the world. And then he, he tells them this. Verse eight. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. For they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. I was really curious as to what this part of the passage means and what, what's going on in the culture because um, we don't really get a whole lot of backstory here. But um, this, uh, this um, commentary that I was reading had this quote, this line that I thought was pretty profound for us today. It said, how easy is it to let our desires and wishes set the patterns of our hopes rather than to trust the promises of God? Wishful thinking must give way to the realities of the word of God. It's profound. Don't listen to those people who are casting these dreams and visions for your life, for the good life, for the the American dream, for the the way that culture is shaping you to to understand the hopes, the the, the patterns of of things that, that create hope for you. Don't let hope be driven by the world and the world's success and the world and the things of the world. But allow, allow the realities of the word of God to lead you. Trust in the promises of God. And it says this, verse 10. And this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. 70 years? God, I thought this promise thing, this this hope for a future, this plan that you have for me, it would be like right now. 70 years is a long time. What he's essentially saying is that a lot of you old people, you're not going to see anything different than this. This is going to be your story and your kid's story and their kid's kid's story is living in the middle of this. You may never see the end of this. You may never see the fulfillment of this promise, but this is a promise that I have for you. Settle in. Because my promise is for you in the midst of it. Verse 11. uh, uh, Verse 10. When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. In the midst of that time of of exile, it wasn't going to be buttercups and roses here. I mean, this is, uh, we see the story of Daniel in the lion's den happen in the midst of Babylonian exile. He is one of the remnant, one of the few that, that left in, in exile and he's living in, in the midst of this promise and he's persecuted for his faith he is, he is sent to the lion's den because he prays to God over the, the gods of, of over the king 
But the promise, the promise is that is in verse uh, 12 and 13. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So uh, I'll I'll move quickly through these, but there's three things that I think we can distill from this letter that that Jeremiah is writing to the people in exile. Uh, Jeremiah is still hanging out in Israel, um, preaching to the people who have turned their backs on God. Um, But he writes this letter to those who are are living in exile. And I think there's three things that I think we can pull from it. There's probably more than that, but uh, there's three that I want to distill here. Uh, Number one, God is greater than our comfort. God is greater than our comfort. Oftentimes, I think we idolize comfort um, to the point where we, we we would rather have comfort than have our God. We would rather have comfort than have the closeness and relationship with our God. And so if it means to give up our comfort, then, then I'll choose that over God. Friends, generations will pay for the priorities that we make today. Fathers, mothers, generations will pay in your family for the priorities that you set for your family today. If we allow the culture to set our priorities, then that will, that will have ripple effects for generations to come. The role of the, the father and, and the, in, in that culture was to be the storyteller of, of his family, to be uh, the one that holds all of the, the faithful promises of God and brings them into our current situation, to tell the stories of God's faithfulness to our kids so that that the priority of faithfulness to God and the priority of God's faithfulness to us becomes at the, is at the forefront of our conversation. I think, I think this, this role has been kind of separated or spread out between, between father and mother in our culture today, our our more egalitarian culture today. Uh, But, but as parents, we have this responsibility to set the priorities for, for our, our families. God is greater than our comfort. And that's a choice that we have to make every day. The second thing that I think this passage teaches us is, is to settle in and be purposeful for the city. To unpack our bags, to set, set our clothes in the drawers, and to invest in where we are. Invest where your feet are right now. Not where your feet might be in the future, but invest for where your feet are settled right now. Meet your neighbor. If you don't know your neighbor, meet your neighbor because, because where the place that you are is the place that God has put you right now. And, and I, think, I think we're called to have that mindset to invest deeply in the places that we are regardless of how long we're gonna be there. Meet your neighbor. Find ways to, to get involved in society, to get involved in the community. Uh, we have a, a mentor program at, uh, at Foster Elementary. We have some mentors uh, in the room over here, uh, a couple over here. And uh, what a beautiful thing. They, they told us, uh, they recommended that we start with about five mentors um, to, to just invest in the lives of these young kids that didn't have adult, adults to, to pour into their lives. And... Uh, 
And out of the faithfulness of this church, we had 25, actually we had almost 30 mentors and didn't have enough mentees to fill those, those roles. And, and so this last year, for a whole year, um, 25 of our, our people weekly went in to, to eat lunch with these kids and to mentor individuals. And they're looking to expand the program. So if you're looking to, uh, if you got some time during the middle of the week um, and are able to, to make a 30-minute lunch with a kiddo, uh, what a beautiful way to, to settle in. What a beautiful way to invest where your feet are, to, to invest in the prosperity of the city. Because if you invest in the prosperity of the city, you begin to see dividends in the way that our block looks, that our neighborhood looks. As we pour into the families in our neighborhood, it, it, changes, it changes the world around us. We're called to be that cleaning agent for the world, to be mentors and to be invested in. We are called to carry our why into, this, into these civic, civic spaces. Find a mission that you can pour into and, and plug into. Find a way that you can make a difference. Because when our city prospers, your kids prosper, the kingdom of God prospers. Number three, uh, and the last one, um, is the Lord is for the faithful. Those who are seeking after God, those who are coming to God, those who are calling on his name, those who pray to him, we see that in verse 12 and 13. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I, and I will listen to you. Will, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. The promise here is that the Lord is for the faithful. When we look at the other side of the coin, that those who stayed in Israel, the story looks a lot different. It looks a little bit grim. If you, read, if you keep reading in Jeremiah 29, we see another promise that, that God gives for, the, for those who didn't choose to follow after him. But this, in verse 16, but this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne. He didn't even give him a name. It says, that imposture that sits on David's throne, on the throne that I have established, that imposture who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in the city, your fellow citizens who did not go with you out into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says for them. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like figs that are so bad that they cannot even be eaten. <laughs> That's a different promise. Sheesh. This is the, that, that line, the figs that cannot even be eaten. Um, that's the reference that Jesus makes whenever he curses the fig tree um, right before he goes to the cross. He curses this fig tree because it, it wasn't producing good fruit. And he says, and, and this fruit will never produce, or this tree will never produce good fruit. And he curses it and it dies. This is not a, this is not a, um, an I will, I will put my thumb on you and I will punish you. But these people have made their own choice. Uh, time and time again in scripture, it says that when we make, when we make the choice to, to walk away from God, that he turns, turns our hearts over to our own evil desires. He, he allows us to harden our hearts because he's a God of choice. He, he allows us to choose and to have free will. And so those who have not followed him are not under that hedge of protection, are not under that plan of, of goodness. Even, even Daniel uh, was, was protected because of his faithfulness. The, the mouth of the lion was hewn shut. Hewn shut. Paul uh, speaks to this also in Romans eight twenty eight. 
these same words, uh, a verse that's oftentimes taken out of context, and we know that God works all things for the good. The good of those who love him and are called to his purpose. These promises are for the faithful. For those who stand and live in obedience, who, who seek after God, who pray to God, who come to God, this promise is for them. I want to pause there because we can get uh, pretty quickly into prosperity gospel when we start talking about this. That if, if, you, if you are faithful to God, then you can expect to see uh, the blessings of the Lord poured out in your bank account. Right? If you give this morning $1,000, you can expect to see more zeros in your bank account by the end of the year. Right? We can get pretty quick into this prosperity gospel, but if we look back at that, that idea of, um, of don't, don't, let the, don't let those who are dreaming dreams and the diviners lead you astray, that quote, how easy is it to let our desires and wishes set the patterns for our hopes? How easy it is to let our own desires for what prosperity might look like in our own lives define the way that we are faithful, define the the relationship that we have with God and how God will relate to us. I truly do believe that this promise is for you. If you are living and walking in faithfulness to God, that he does have a plan for you, that he does desire for you to prosper He doesn't desire for you to be harmed. But that promise is is big picture. The promise is is for his people, for the remnant. That promise is that he will walk with you in the midst of it. When you are persecuted to the lion's den and you are set to be harmed, he will provide for you and walk with you. So I want to close with this and invite the band to come forward. Friends, If you have found yourself lured away by the dreams of man, if you've been stuck in the patterns of disobedience, this is a call back to the way of Christ, back to the blessings of relationship with God. I want to seek you with all of my heart, starting today. 